This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is snare drum creator James Beyer. This podcast doesn't spend a lot of time talking about gear, but every once in a while, there's an opportunity to discuss the business of creating the tools that we all love and, and the lessons that we can take away from such a discussion. James Beyer talks about his process, workflow, and what motivated him to build a snare drum that fit his vision of what a snare drum could be for the working drummer. Uh, with confidence, I can say he's done that and, and much more. In addition to building a quote-unquote workhorse durable snare, he has single-handedly reintroduced the 15-inch snare drum back into the drumming world. If you're interested in finding out more about this episode and all of the over 250 episodes that we've done here at Working Drummer Podcast, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. You can also follow us and subscribe to us on Spotify. Check us out there. So for those of you that are Patreon members, there's a brand new video on our page that you can access with a couple PDFs, something that I personally put together that was a challenge for me and a lot of fun to do, kind of a hand-foot combination thing that I discovered during the shutdown time where we all are spending maybe a little bit more time practicing and working on some new skills. So if you are a Patreon member, you can access that. If you are interested in becoming a Patreon member and supporting this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash working drummer. Patreon isn't your thing, then we have a PayPal option on our website. You can go there and make a one-time donation. We appreciate everyone's help over the years in keeping this podcast going strong. Here you go, folks, my conversation with James Beyer. What would be your elevator pitch to someone about your drums? I, I, would, be, I, I would be brief. I, I would say uh, I manufacture a line of steel snare drums, only in steel. Yeah. And they range in diameter from 8 to 15 inches, uh, a number of depths. Uh, it's a very traditional approach. And I would give them my contact information and tell them to get a hold of me if they have any questions. I, I love to stay in touch with players and uh, and musicians. And I would probably leave it at that and leave the rest to them, Matt. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wrote down, it was just a statement. I wonder if you could respond to this, because I want to get a little bit more into how you communicate with players and how you establish okay. your brand. Uh, or establish, uh, 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 get the word out about what you're doing. Uh, I wrote down this this morning. This just kind of popped into my head. Uh, there's an integrity and work ethic that permeates in the drumming community. Your approach to advertising your drums, I feel, reflects this ethic. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. I, I You know, I the way I go about this, Matt, is... Um, is just purely uh, uh, in instinctive. It's the only way I decided in the beginning that I would do this uh, or I would do any business. Now, it's not practical to do all businesses or approach like I have this, but but that it, it's more of a, if you want to say old school, old world approach. Um, I just decided uh, to, uh, you know, that I was going to... Uh, hit the road with a sample case. And in my case, it was a drum case with a drum in it. And in the early years, it was the five and a half, 14 mm -hmm. and go introduce myself. To people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't go out to sell anything and there's nothing wrong with that, but I wanted to introduce what I was doing to drummers. Yeah. And uh, I, any size show, uh, clinics, music stores, I, uh, a neighbor would call who was a drummer um, and I did that hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah, yeah. And and basically left it to them, like, what do you think of what I'm doing? And uh, let them tell me that. Yeah. Uh, and where do you think this this personal approach comes from? I I, I don't know. I I think it's just kind of me. Um, I I love 
talking to drummers and 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 as much as and I can be a jabberbox at times, <laughs> Matt. Yeah, I, you know, but but as much as I talk, I listen more, and I, I listen to everything any drummer has ever told me, and uh, I never forget it. And I, I really kind of treasure all that information and feedback. Um, you know, you know, drummers, as you know, you know, drummers, it, it, drumming is like a brotherhood. It's like mm-hmm. a, a musical Semper Fi. And they're not going to hurt your feelings and they're not going to make you feel foolish. Uh, they're not going to be hypercritical, but they will tell you the truth about what you are creating. Yeah. And, and that that is the and I want to hear that stuff. And, and drummers have no problem telling you. Here's what I don't like. Yeah. What I do like. Uh, going back to the beginning and starting your drum, were there uh, uh, prototypes that you designed and tested out? No, I really, you know, by the time I went out, um, I, I was set. And, uh, you know, it was the five and a half, 14 was my first drum. Uh, the five and a half, 15 was my second drum. Um, before, I started, I, I went to Taiwan. I'm a traveler and, um, and I visited factories there and I got to see all these drums that they were making for all the big drum companies and small drum companies around the world. And it was, it was fascinating. And, uh, they were incredibly nice to me and it was, it was a great trip, but ultimately I'm like, I don't want to have things made. I want to make them. And, um, you know, I came back from that and uh, finally decided to really start this. This this would have been 2009, where I more committed to it. Wow. And uh, started making shells out of steel. Steel has always been my favorite metal. And um, I had worked with a couple, you know, metals before that here and there and brass and copper. And they all have attributes that I like. Right. Steel what sung to me. Okay. And that's that's what I will always do is just steal. How different is the first drum you made to the drums that you sell now? Um that that was another thing that was critically important to me, you know, the the first five, five and a half 14 I made sounds like the one I I am sending out next week. That's awesome. Um I wanted, you know, all, all the drums in each size sound the same. I, I had a drummer the other day, and, and, and he wants a 6 and F14, and I'm like, I can't do it right now. And I told him, I said, you know, call me in two years. You call me in 10 years. It will be the same. It'll look the same, and it will sound identical to the one uh, that you played. <laughs> and um, as a reference, and, and you know, I, I thought, you know, it, it's um, – I, I just wanted them, you know – tone matched and uh you know when a drummer would see one of my drums in in a show in akron you know the drum he would pick up would sound exactly like the one he saw in akron and they do as as you're able to access more and more pro drummers and they are playing your drums and exposing your drums to the greater community then the the community's like i can have the same drum that jared pope has I can have the same drum that Mark Beckett has. I can have that drum. I can own that and own that sound. Now, obviously, uh, you can't play like those guys just because you have the drum. But it is nice uh, that uh, where something like cymbals or or even you know it's that's not as consistent for sure. Oh, know. absolutely. You know. Can you explain some of the dimensions of uh, of the drum, the shell, the edges? Well, uh, the dimensions obviously range from uh, from four. The deepest drum I make is seven and a half. Um, I did make an eight, um, but you know, with my welding fixture, I was I was having trouble, uh, you know, with it. So I had to I had to shorten it. Okay. Uh, uh, Widthwise, mm-hmm. and it really made very little difference in the sound. Um, there's quite a few actually eight inch depth drums out there, um, but uh, yeah, four, five and a half, six and a half, and seven and a half. Okay, and the edges are a straight edge. They're actually a roundover. They're sanded, um, but it is a, a straight edge. 
Um, I didn't want to roll form edges that uh, didn't. It took away uh, the sound of the drum, and um, which, depending on what you're making, that that's might be what you want. But it didn't work for me. And um, and snare beds are I, a very traditional long and flat snare beds. You know, my snare beds are five and a half inches long, and they're the same on every single drum. And they have been since the beginning. Wow. Okay. And the thickness of the shell? Uh, 1.5 yeah. millimeter. Okay. And I had experimented. I, I, I always lean toward, uh, when it came to metal drums, uh, thicker metal. And uh, I settled, uh, I made a lot of shells in the early, and threw them out. And um, this is the, the thickness that I, that I decided on. And uh, that kind of did it all. I see. Uh, to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how much of the drum are you making and how much are you using uh, other parts from? You know, the parts are, are, are standard, um, are, are universal. Um, I'm making all the shells. It's a welded shell. Um, I don't do the powder coating. Um, even if I had the facility to powder coat matte, I wouldn't. That, that, that's a... That's a tricky business, and and not that it would be a waste of my time, but it's not really a musical portion of what I do. My time can be better spent doing other things, like making more shells. Yeah, and um, and it's also a skill. You know, the guy I have do my powder coating uh, is works in the framework of a huge company, but he's the only guy I will let touch my shells because <laughs> they're beautiful, man. Yeah, he does a great job. Yeah. Oh, he does a, an amazing job. And, um, so, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, the drums today have a textured black coating. Um, the earlier drums had a smoother, uh, kind of a, almost a satin black. Um, but, uh, I settled into the texture coated and I think maybe the last, maybe 350 drums or so I've done in the texture coated and, uh, that's here to stay. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. It's very, very classy. And just trip and triple flanged hoops. Triple flange hoops, two lugs. Uh, I have a bridge, uh, several bridge style lugs that I use. Um, and uh, on the four by 15, as you saw, I use uh, just a Gibraltar piccolo throw. And uh, I use a DW mag on every other drum. I wish I could get the DW mag on that 4x15. I could, but it'd be pretty close. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't want to risk it, you know, with heads and different things out there. Um, so, but, but yeah, and very straightforward. When we first uh, started speaking, I mentioned to you, I had a chance to listen to Matt Dudley's podcast that you uh, were a guest on. And Matt did a great job. Uh, talking yeah. to you about this, and you guys talked ab about uh, the DW throw and how durable it is. And I thought that was that was an amazing. You mentioned a story. Uh, could you just? I don't know if you could retell that. Uh, not to steal from Matt's interview, but I just I just the the durability of the things that you're using. Uh, there was an incident of someone uh, getting their shell bent at TSA. At oh yeah, airport. Yeah, and and the throw, the tension knob, uh, it was a little bent, but the throw was fine, and it was actually pushed in on the throw. Oh my god! Uh, where the shell, and I, I don't know what in the world they could have done to bend a steel shell under tension. Um, I <laughs> somebody ran over it maybe or whatever, but the throw is fine. The throw is uh, fine. I, I can, yeah, I could see it right now. I, I actually, um, that drum was uh, Jules Redino, a Blue Oyster Cult. And, and, and he was crushed. He was like, Jim, because he's used that drum uh, oh, on the last 500 plus shows. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I can't fix the shell. I'm not even going to try. I'll just remake it for you. Uh, but yeah, the throw's fine. And that, that DW Meg has been, uh, I, I've used that for years. And it, it really is. It's just uh, probably easily if not the most popular, obviously one of the most popular among all drummers. Everybody loves it. Yeah, yeah. And so it sounds like you're choosing things that if somebody's on the road, they can replace parts easily. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And that was another, you know, I hate to keep saying I'm going back to the beginning, but but my thoughts haven't changed from then to now, Matt. And, and uh, as a drummer, when I was playing all the time, yeah, if I got a guy in California and he strips out a tube lug, the odds of him being able to walk in uh, a place and get one are really good. Um, he could certainly order one uh, a number of places being standard tube lugs. And for that matter, I tell them, call me. I'll, I'll FedEx you one. You know, if, if you're going if you're going to be in San Diego on Wednesday, um, I will FedEx it overnight. I, I don't if you're in Guam, call me. I'll overnight it for you. Um, but but it's not a complicated, uh, you know, make it easy for everybody and functional. And and it's not cheapening it uh, to me or it's not it, it's simplifying it. Right. And 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 making you know, I have a very utilitarian approach, obviously, and um, because what matters um, at the end of the day or the night is the sound of that drum. And uh, I don't I, I lathe my own lugs out of aluminum. I, I think I have some around here and they were pretty cool. I made hoops, but I decided no, because, <clears throat> you know, then you're in a situation where, you know, if they, you know, bend a hoop and that happens relatively frequently on the road. Um, they don't have to come to me for it. I, I hope they do. I, I'll send them one in, in a second, but I don't want them, you know, having one option to replace that hoop and that being me. And, and uh, that was important to me. There are beautiful drums everywhere. I, I like everyone. I love looking at what people are creating and doing. Um, but at the end of the day, um, that's just something I never wanted to work hard at. You know, I wanted a classic, functional style drum. And and, it, and it's an overused and, and sometimes misused word, but uh, a workhorse. I mean, a true workhorse that a drummer will throw uh, on an airplane in a road case or take out to a bar where people are throwing around beer and there's all this commotion and and not have to worry about that drum and that it will play. And if something happens, it can be easily fixed. The drums are very roadworthy, uh, kind of, and, and they always have been, and that's, that's just important. Yeah, it is, and I think that's, for me personally, that's a big part of the attraction there, because if I'm going out, I, I'm not one of these people that have drums that don't leave the house or cymbals that don't yeah. leave the house. Uh, I've never been that married to to any of my gear. If I've owned something like that, it's usually been sold or traded for something that I can really use because I enjoy playing. And yeah. uh, I've seen some beautiful drums, and 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 we've all you know marveled at uh, vintage gear and 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 stuff that's yeah. it, that's irreplaceable. And but uh, from a practical standpoint. Uh, I want something that sounds great and is durable, and I don't like to carry heavy padded cases. My snare drum, especially for in-town things, is in a, a nice padded, but it's a bag. Yeah. You know? Um, I had an old Gretsch copper drum that was my A drum for a long time, and I think it got thrown around so much that the shell just just is is almost... Now it's turned into a hand hammered. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that might that might add something. You, I mean, you never know. It's... I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows how the, the the it seats now? But well, let me. I I kind of want to go into your experience with crafting, your experience with working with steel, and did you? How did you learn to do this? You know, I I met a taught myself. I mean, I, years ago, I worked in a job shop and I'd worked on press breaks and I've always been good with tools, but I'm not a tool guy per se. Um, and I, my tools are all hand tools. Uh, I, uh, I bought a slip roll from the, it's from the forties, fifties, an old school manual that I make all the shells on. And, and that, I, that took a long time to find it, but I knew, I knew I wanted an old one. Wow. And uh, the old ones just, they, they just, there's something about them as a lot, a lot of old everything, you know, some things. And, um, yeah, and I, I hand roll them. 
and uh, I do everything with a hand drill and tape measures. And I, I work under like uh, uh, magnifying lamps and scopes and because they're within a 64th of an inch. Everything has to be. And um, uh, that's I haven't changed the way I've done. You know, I, I, I try to refine the way I do it, but I never change anything. Is there you know, calibration uh, with some of these machines or anything like that that has to be? No. No. My slip roll is all my slip roll doesn't even have a gauge on it. It's got a couple knobs that you adjust the tension. And <laughs> after doing it a thousand times, literally, um, I just kind of know. And uh, you know, I'll use spacers and you know, my spacers are pretty sophisticated. It's a pencil and a sharpie. And and I go from there, and um, and that's it. You know, there's no settings, or it's more feel than anything. Wow. And uh, and honestly, you know, with making shells, I rarely miss anymore. I still do, but but the truth of it is, if I'm making a 14 and I and I you know make it too tight, well, that that I got a 13 that's going to be coming out so, so. <laughs> or 12 i'm look again i'm looking at one right now on my desk that's a six gonna be a six and a half 12 that was supposed to be a 14 wow wow that's that's <laughs> hilarious did you ever did you ever work as an under an apprenticeship work uh behind anybody or learn from somebody no yeah no okay. i um you know and there wasn't you know a lot of uh re research or anything um you know, I had in my mind, obviously, vintage gear, uh, which is is was very one dimensional in its approach. And um, I knew I wanted to do straight edges and I knew I wanted, uh, you know, flat snare beds always made sense to me. And um, and not that I had drum with curved snare, bed, all different types of snare beds and they sounded great, but I wanted flat snare beds. So it was it was relatively easy for me. I made decisions very quickly, but those are things that I had been thinking about for a long time. Yeah. And early on, was there a snare drum in your collection that you looked to and said, you know what, if I could make this drum or some of the characteristics of this of my favorite drum, then then I'm going to then I'm on the right track. Yeah, there was no particular snare drum. I mean, I, I, I love early, particularly Leedy and Ludwig. I think we all do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, number of drums, you know, when I was playing all the time, I had a, a black beauty, a five by 14, a hammered, which I really liked that drum, but it didn't have the bottom end that I was looking for. And, and to me in all the drums that I've ever played and in my discussions with drummers, a, a good bottom end, if you need or want that in a drum is, is very difficult to achieve with some drums. And, uh. Uh, and Anton Fig, I, I played for uh, two years, which I, I loved. But again, it, it was kind of stuck in the mids, and it never really had that bottom end that I was really looking for. Do you think people have a, a misconception about what steel can deliver? Oh, absolutely. There, there's an old carryover of thought that steel is a clangy, tingy, um, <clears throat> and uh, it, it's not if it's done prop if it's thick enough. And I, I understand that. I mean, we've all played, you know, you know, in modern or earlier steel snare drums that are real thin, and they do sound like that. Uh, that's not my sound. Um, mine are certainly thicker, and um, with the powder coating, uh, it takes out, I think, some of the things that people don't like about steel. Um, I, I love, you know, the drums are wide open. I love tones and the overtones. But the steel is is almost like, uh, or the the powder coat is almost like a filter. Interesting. And, uh, Mike, Mike Dawson talked about that in the Modern Drummer podcast, and he he had brought that up, and that was his um, guess, and what what he thought after using my drums that that powder coat was a, a like a filter, and it filtered out the stuff that you don't want. Uh, I remember in the '90s there was uh, a lot of different steel drums that were on the market, and the shiny colors and you know i'm sure anybody that was playing drums in the 90s remembers this kind of influx of powder coating ideas and so we saw black hardware mm -hmm. and gold plated and all these things that just very gaudy but i think people were experimenting with style 
And those steel yeah. drums, they looked bright. They looked clangy. I didn't even take them off the shelf. You know, the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as I, you know, from a visual standpoint, I, I feel like that black powder coat has it emanates warmth. It it emanates possibilities. I'd love to talk about the 15-inch drum. I'm honestly asking you because I don't know why the 14 became standard for us. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, Matt, I don't know. I, I think it just kind of happened that way. I, I think, you know, the last really strong production of 15-inch snares was by Leedy. You know, the 40s, 50s, you know, I think Ludwig might have made a deeper one at that time, too. Uh, the 15 by 8, and you see those drums. Um around and for some reason 15s just left and i had used wig chrome over brass the classic um you know and which i loved again i didn't own one but i never forgot uh 15 inch drums for years and um and there's just such a void of them and uh you know like they 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 popped up in you know like jr robinson's yamaha uh 5 by 15 was a it was a wonderful drum and um, it was a six ply, and he wanted a very thin shell. And um, and they they've you know here and there you've seen them, but I thought I, I wanted to bring them back, but bring back a complete line of them, and really bring them back in a big way. And um, I produced well, I don't do serial numbers, and I'll go into why I don't do that, but I at least three hundred fifteen inch snares to date that are out there. When we first started speaking, uh, I mentioned to you that I had borrowed um, Michael Grando's 4x15, and it was just amazing. I, I really enjoyed it. I encourage everyone to just to just listen to this. It, it looks like a shallow, uh, bright piccolo, but it has yes. so much potential and so much range. Uh, and uh, I think the thing that I loved so much about it was its sensitivity uh, and the the space on the drum to play, it 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 kind of gave me a lot of freedom, and uh, I don't know what the word is. I, I could almost do no wrong on it. Um, playing ghosting and shuffles and things like that, it just spoke in a way. I didn't have to work very hard uh, on that drum to make it work and to make it groove. It was it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. Probably one of the first drummers to really take my stuff on the road uh, was Andy Parker of UFO. Oh wow! He was one of my boyhood heroes, and mm-hmm. uh, and he he's used them uh, since for ten years. Mm-hmm. He's been on the road and in, in uh, over a thousand shows, and in, in the last four UFO records. Um, and uh, uh, Don Brewer took out time for me. Oh, that's and, cool. Which, he was another one of my boyhood heroes. Grand Funk was the first concert I saw. I was a kid. I was I was thirteen years old. Holy cow! That's a good first concert. And, yeah, and he took he took the uh, six and a half fourteen um, on the Grand Funk tour, and from there it was a it was a it was a referral. Uh, you know, Mark Beckett had a five and a half fourteen on my drums, but but Pat McDonald, the amazing Pat McDonald, is the one who told Mark about my drums. Oh wow! And 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 Mark then subsequently mentioned my drums to Eddie Bears, and and on it goes. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot so. of Nashville drummers that are familiar with your your line here, and I see that pop up a lot here and there. Um, Nashville's been very good to me, Matt. Those guys are 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 amazing. You know, I love those guys. They were they really, all of them. They they've been. Uh, you know, it's not like I some of those guys I talk to maybe once a year briefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, and they've had my drums out for years, but there, there's nothing really to talk about. It, it's done. The drums work, and they work with them and, and the band and the engineers, and they like the way they feel and travel. And uh, that that is like 
the greatest compliment a drum maker could have. Of when course. a drummer says all that to you. Like, yeah. there's nothing, it, it's done, It's it, it works. Yeah. And so they can they can say uh, so. Uh, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they do, and I love seeing those guys when they come through. I'm I'm always at shows and uh, uh, forever at shows. Yeah, and so we catch up that way. That's awesome. Yeah, there's yeah, a strong community here. Uh, it's been it's been great. Yeah, it's, that, that's a, I really love it. Well, why not the serial numbers? You mentioned that. You know, I, that was another, again, going back to the beginning that I just, I, I didn't want, I just wanted to produce drums and put them out there and let them find their place. Yeah. And, um, uh, and again, there's no really no, you know, it's not like I'm changing things all the time where I would need serial numbers like, oh yeah, that was, that was done in 2003 that had those tension rods Uh or they had that on it. Uh, but mostly just more of an artistic type, just let it go and just put them out there. And, and you know, drummers will invariably find what they're looking for. And um, and when it's one of my drums, I'm thrilled to death with that. And, um, you know, they land all over the place. I hear from people every day, whether it's a producer, an engineer, a you know, something like, oh, like, you know, I picked up one of your drums or so-and-so lent me one of your drums. And uh, that that's just what I wanted. I, I just wasn't, you know, important, I guess. Is that, um, the, is that the reason for serial numbers is just to be able to pinpoint the time frame in which this product was manufactured? Yeah, I think in part, yeah, for, for you know, for, you know, warranty purposes or, um, you know, for parts. Um, a business, you know, to know exactly how much you're producing. Okay. Um, but more, I'm more of a big picture kind of guy. Like, you know, I, I look around and everything works really well here. So that makes me happy. I don't want to analyze it any further. I don't want to look at a paper with numbers. Um, I'm, things are good. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I, but, I, but I, you know, I have that luxury, Matt. I, it's just me. Yeah. So, you know, if I had a staff in a, in a big facility, it would be different. You know, you'd have to do that stuff. It sounds like there's a lot of intentionality in creating a workspace and an environment and a pace that works for you and your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, did it take some experimenting to get to this place, some fine-tuning to say, okay, I think I found it? Well, as far as the sound of the drum... Um, you know, when I finally, you know, again, it was a five and a half, 14. I'm like, that's what I want. Yeah. Um, that, that, that was the biggest step. And, um, you know, and I think the rest of it is just, you know, like we said, just this business. I mean, if you, you know, walk into any aspect of the music business thinking it's going to be easy, mm-hmm. well, it's not going to be. And, and you can be on the, greatest tour in the world you can be working in a music store you can manufacture it's all difficult yeah in, in different ways but but as you know we all do it because that that's just to me there's no other option i i couldn't fathom not doing this it's very true it, it, it and i mean it's it sounds kind of cheesy people say you know this this chose me i didn't choose it it yeah you know and Paul Simon has a great quote. He says, uh, it's, it's hard to get into the music business. It's even harder to get out. Exactly. <laughs> I think it also is you fall in love with the independent lifestyle, the able to make decisions mm-hmm. to be creative on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Uh, you know, you know from, from a very practical standpoint, from a working standpoint. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, it's I sit and... Uh, you know, I'll be measuring out steel and spinning um, uh, vinyl and um, Sweet. drinking tea and thinking, you know what? I, I, I'm not maybe a quote unquote wealthy man on paper, but I am. I'm a rich man. Yeah. And yeah. that's as good as it gets in a, in a lifetime. And uh, it might be a limited view, but uh, but it's my view for me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just could not imagine going about life any different than I do, Matt. I, I just couldn't imagine that. I, I, those are, I think those are extremely important 
concepts and, and values for any of us listening to take away from this is that you define success on your own terms and uh, you know you mentioned I'm not rich on paper but this is what I I do and so I know there's going to be listeners to this that aren't aspiring drum manufacturers or you know looking to build their own line of snare drums but what are they doing in their life that they can uh, take away, you know, how can they apply these ideas that have worked so well for you in, yeah. in their principles. own... principles. Yeah, you know, these, just, these principles, uh. right. Uh, I want to ask a little bit more about life outside of this, but staying on the drum for a minute, what are some compliments, some common terms, some common compliments that you hear about your drums? You know, they're relatively the same, and uh, I, I, it just ranges from uh, they're just not complicated. It goes back to what you were saying about the 4 by 15 that no matter what, the, the, this size or the, these two, they work for me yeah. live in the studio. Um, they're almost impossible to choke. Um, I've, I've heard from drummers. I've never heard a drummer tell me that, you know, you know that particular size uh, chokes up on me. Yeah, uh, because they don't. Yeah, um, and uh, uh, affordability uh, is, is is also uh, important. I mean, there's reasons for drums to be expensive, but I never, you know, I I, wa- I wanted it to be within reach of everybody and make make it a win win. Make it as easy as possible for somebody to get one of your drums as you can. Yeah. And, uh, work a little harder, produce a little more, uh, because they're not, uh, you know, priced at a different price point. But I, I, I at the end of the day, again, I just kind of don't care, Matt. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I want my drums out there. I have to make a living. I do, and um, and and it's a, a functional, useful drum. Well, tell me about your background, man, with with music, with drumming. Well, I grew, I grew up drumming, and uh, oh, I was I probably started drumming when I was maybe in the third grade, mm-hmm. and I had formal instruction for many years. Uh, I had a, an excellent uh, drum teacher uh, who was a club drummer at night, and he was a truck driver by trade, and had played all over the world, and um, had done gigs with you know opening for Louis Belson, and he had amazing stories and. Uh, he uh, taught me uh, rudiments. He was very, very focused on fundamentals. And uh, we did rudiments for years. And, um, and, I, and I really value that. And I was in concert band, uh, marching band uh, through school. And, um, and then, of course, you know, uh, was playing in clubs uh, on and off for quite some time. And uh, be- before I just kind of hung it up at that time. You know, the other thing I loved in life outside of drums and music uh, was history and geography. And uh, uh, that's what I majored in. And, um, you know, I taught briefly um, and I was a map designer for the state of Wisconsin for a year. And then um, invariably, you know, uh, I had to kind of do my own thing. And uh, um, I opened up a shop. And I, I was an antiquarian. I dealt in original 15th and 19th century maps, books, documents, and letters of interest, Civil War letters uh, for many years. I owned a mail auction, um, and uh, I loved that. And it was a, a picture framing store, too. So I was framing documents and doing uh, paper restoration. Wow. Um, all the while, I was still involved in music in a kind of peripheral type way. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, that was a, an amazing journey. That whole uh, and I loved it, and I still I still love history. Um, but you know that business. Uh, you know, younger people, younger generations, they don't buy 18th century books. <laughs> they um, don't. They, yeah, they're not interested in that. In that whole business, I could I saw it coming a little late, and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to have to do something here. You know, because this you know kind of a slow and then a very quick descent. And um, so I thought, I'm going to go back to playing. And I started playing and could not find my sound snare drum wise. And then played, as we all do, you know, a ton of bell brass and 
you know, as I mentioned, the Anton Fig and the uh, the hammered Black Beauty, and they're all good drums, but they, I, I want what I wanted was one drum I could grab that would kind of do it all, or or as close to that as any drum ever gets. And I just decided to make my own drums. And uh, I just thought, no, I'm going to make what I want to hear. And um, that's what I did. I mean, what I what I hear is I I wish, and I don't mean it in a a boastful kind of way, but I wish I would have had my drums when I was playing all the time. Because I would have saved myself a lot of time running around, uh, you know, th that's what I wanted. A wide open, you know, kind of a, a modern day version of a vintage snare. Mm -hmm. It's wide open. Right, 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 right. And, uh, and I just started from there. Yeah. What have you learned about music and drumming since you started in 2010? Well, you know, the, you know, the music business changes by the day. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, what I've learned is, you know, what we mentioned before that it, it, it literally is Matt, it's three times more difficult than I thought it would be, yeah. but I knew that right away. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, just adjust. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as drumming, you know, drummers have taught me, so many things about uh, from from little things from tuning like Pat McDonald showed me things about tuning and um, I mean it, it's literally endless what what they show you because every single drummer is as similar as they are they're so different and in every band and every record and uh, I I study that and um, and uh, you get to know their styles where if I could. I would could close my eyes and I could say, oh, that sounds like Mark Beckett, mm -hmm. you know, or that sounds like Jared Pope. Yeah. You know? um, and uh, it, it's, it's, you know, you never learn. It's an, uh, it's kind of a continuing education and uh, which I enjoy very much. There's so much great information out there and there's so many wonderful drummers. And since we started this podcast, I am amazed at how many drummers there are. It's almost overwhelming. Oh, yeah. There's so many drummers and really good players. And great drummers. Yeah. Just off the hook. It's just, it's, I, I mean, we could probably do this forever because by the time we exhaust all the drummers out there, the great drummers that exist right now, there's going to be a whole new generation coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah, they're they're everywhere, and and it's I some of the best drummers, and and I, I think any drummer would tell you this that, you know, that the time they walked into some dive bar and they had the band in the corner, and you know, some guy on an old beat up export kit with tape on it that just lit, I, that killed it. Mm -hmm. You see those guys, it's like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. And say, man, are you, are you seriously? Yeah, you're you're great. <laughs> they're always like really oh thanks you know they, they don't even realize how good they are right 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 have there been any lessons in business now that you i mean I, you mentioned you were in business for yourself before did did you carry that over or i mean because this is the music business it's it's completely different yeah what have you is there a a, a big takeaway for you in the last 10 years business-wise that you could impart upon us no, I, I, I think just, um, you know, the music business, it's, it's a very low margin uh, business. It's where, where my other business was not. Uh, but my approach in my other business was the same. I was very, I, I did deliveries. I, I, I was uh, going out to talk to people. Uh, I sold the institutions and I'm like, no, I'm not going to ship it to you. I'll come out and deliver it. Yeah. Um, and talk to them about, you know, the, the Civil War display they were doing or whatever. Um, but the music business is unique in that every, you know, for, for instance, tech changes by the day, but the music business, uh, changes in huge waves, you know, um, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I just think the fluctuation of, uh, you know, uh, for instance, uh, when you go back 10 years ago, you know, if you were trying to sell records, sell singles and you look at it now is a totally different, it's mm -hmm. a lot more difficult today mm -hmm. to even make uh, anything sometimes. 
Yeah. But, but I still think it can be done in the long run if you just stay with it. Yeah, yeah. Some would say there's almost it's it, there's like cycles they come in and yeah. and sometimes there's things that repeat. Or, you know, uh, in the in the 50s you were selling singles, and uh, then LPs and you know people were buying whole records and even into the CD era. Then people started downloading one song at a time again, and it seemed like, oh my gosh, we're 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 not doing the music business the way it should be done. It's like, well, you don't have to go too far back to remember that's how people were buying records was one yeah. song at a time. Sure, um, but that's getting into some some territory I have absolutely zero business in <laughs> discussing i just i'm am a casual observer uh, you know and oh yeah i think we all are yeah uh, it's amazing know, having all our friends being artists and producing material and you know i i i think the the you know the larger you know like spotify is is is, is a wonderful resource I and mean, i just wish it, artists would make more yeah, and yeah. you've mentioned before how you like to buy music. You like to handle. You I like always to I buy anything that that's available to buy. Yeah, on the spot. Yeah, and and in why why is that? Because it's important. Yeah, you know, and in today's world, it might. You know, I. I I, I just think if everybody bought music when there was an opportunity to buy it, given, given the structure of the business, is it going to make a huge difference um, with artists? I, I think it, in certain cases it should, but but generally not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still going to be difficult, but just out of principle. And you know, whether my drums are on it or not, I buy I buy I buy music. I you know, and if it's available. Um, on CD and vinyl and DVD, I buy all three of them. Wow! And um, awesome. and it's just uh, I, I just think it's important. I mean, it's habit. It's the way I grew up. It's more nostalgic, but it. But I think today it's more important than ever. You know? Yeah. And to go out and see obviously people live. You know, that's that's the thing today. Right. You know, not this day, but that will come. You know, it will come back. And, and and quote unquote support your artists in any way you can. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, it it does matter. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I, I'm I'm just realizing now. I think we've gotten so accustomed to how we're living our lives right now. The last few months that we didn't start this conversation with, uh, hey, how are you dealing with the pandemic? How are you dealing with yeah being shut down? But I, I you know. This this episode will be around for a very long time, so I do try and keep these conversations brief. But I I, I believe it is important to to uh, to kind of address the the elephant in the room as far as how we're all uh, dealing with this in in a in a business where interacting with other musicians and interacting with other people and whether it's an audience or you know other. A community uh, is is very important to our business. How how are how have things changed for you in the last few months with the shutdown? Well, you know, outside of you know, I had a full calendar from spring to fall of shows, mm-hmm. friends to see. Um, and I'm I'm honestly one of the lucky ones. Mad, it really hasn't affected me at all. I mean, I'm home all the time anyway to begin with. Yeah. Um, and as far as uh, it hasn't affected. The, the, the some of the you know the powder coater you have to leave time there's you know I, I have an order from DW that I have to pick up at Interstate Music I haven't been able to get for two and a half months uh, my mags I get them through them and um, but other than that no it really hasn't affected me uh, at all and I'm but I know other people it, it certainly has yeah yeah and uh, I, I you know I've been lucky I sit here and make drums and. Um, and I do, I'm, I'm worried about my friends and, um, you know, it's not easy because this is one of these deals where, you know, when quote unquote things get difficult, well, I'll do this, but when you can't do anything or go anywhere, you can't fix something Mm -hmm. you can't go get a part-time job because every place is closed. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird time. It's a weird time. Yeah. 
unprecedented, actually, you know, in our lifetime. Yeah, I think. Yeah, very much so. Before the shutdown, uh, a big part of uh, manufacturers is going to trade shows, going to NAM, doing these Correct. different things and showcasing. Uh, but that's not a part of your operating. Um, no, I don't. Um, I, I've been to a NAM. Uh, I went to a summer NAM years ago in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people I knew <clears throat> then, and it didn't have anything to do with my drums. I was visiting a, a friend down there, but but it's it's never been a part of my profile, Matt. You know, I mean, I I could go to Nam or Pay Six or uh, and set up a booth, but I'm really not looking to add uh, a bunch of dealers. I, I can only produce so many drums. You know, I could produce 200 drums a year, maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you start adding this dealer and that dealer, and, and I don't want to get into a backwash-type situation where then I'm racing. Yeah. And um, and I, I just, what I do, the, the you know, as we were talking, the flow of it yeah. works. You know, Forks and Drum Center of Portsmouth, and, you know, to have drum, drums and Drum Center of Portsmouth, Shane, if he's not, he's, he's that's, if he's not, if that's not the greatest drum shop in the world, it's one of them. Okay. And just run everything through them. Yeah. You know, the guys that have stood behind you, uh, Long McQuaid in Canada, uh-huh. and people that, that that kind of took me in in the early years. And, um, you know, I don't uh, have any overseas dealers, per se. Um, in the early, right in the beginning, I approached a couple of them. But, you know, if a, if a guy in England wants one of my drums, um, you know, Forks or drum center for it's very easy for them to ship it to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that leaves room for you to live a life based on how yeah. you've developed. And what is it that you like to do when you aren't rolling steel shells or buying music or? <laughs> you know, I don't. God, you know that that is almost all the time outside of you know my time with Elizabeth. And uh, I love to travel. Yeah, and. Uh, and, you, you, know, you have an Elizabeth in your life. I, I have an Elizabeth in my life. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get now, it. Do you, do, you, do, you re- do you call her Liz or Elizabeth? Uh, it, it depends on how mad I am. It could be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's very rare. That's usually the other way around. Uh, Liz, Liza. Her, her mom calls her Liza, so I call her Liza sometimes. Yeah. I, I call her Elizabeth, and two of my buddies have wives, and they call them both Elizabeth. And you know, everybody else calls her Liz, and we talked about that. I'm like, I don't know. She just—that's the way I've always, you know, just said, "Hey, Elizabeth." But no, we have a great time. We we go we go to all the shows together. Um, we wanted to go to uh, South America six weeks ago uh, for the UFO tour. Obviously, that fell through. Yeah. Um, but but I, I think that's you know pretty much it. You know, man, I I, I like to walk around the lake every day. Um, I worked with horses for many years, which I I. I would love to do again, but I don't have the time. I, I can't commit the time yeah. uh, for that anymore. And as well as playing. I, I've had a couple really nice opportunities to play. Okay. One in particular, but I can't I can't tell them, yeah, I'll I'll do this and then say, Oh well guess what? I can't because I'm, you know, gone here and there. I, mm-hmm. It's just it doesn't add up. Yeah. How many drums are you putting out, uh, say on a average a month? You know, it can vary. It can vary month anywhere from five to fifteen. Wow. Yeah. It it it, it averages. You know, I'm running pretty pretty much peak mat. You know, okay. and then there might be a, a you know a month where I don't put any out, but the next month uh, twelve, and then the month after that thirteen. Um, so it's always a flow. Uh, a, a you know pretty consistent of what I can do. And, um, yeah, that's, that's about, you know, I, I run pretty steady and I always have. Do you have to give yourself a a, a cutoff? Do you have to give yourself like a cutoff time of the day and say, okay, I'm, I put in my time. It's, do you work by hours or do you work by the, the, the drum itself? I, I just kind of do it. Yeah. You know, the drum itself. Yeah, I'm not a nine to five guy and, you know, being an artistic type, 
you know, you, you could call me at three in the morning and I'm, you know, wide awake or sometimes <laughs> I'm up at, you know how it is. And there I'm up at 5 a.m. because I went to bed early. Um, but no, I just I, I, I do it till it's done. OK. And, and that really is very kind of all consuming. I mean, it really is. It's, you know, I'm looking at on my shelf, I have six more that are going into the powder coater. I, I picked up five last week. Um, and I have another four of the five and a half fourteens uh, that I have to drill out and, and do the snare bits for. Yeah. One of the reasons why I'm asking that is a lot of us now being stuck home and trying to, you know, feel productive or learn new skills. It's been uh, quite a challenge to know how to regulate your time. I mean, all of us are pretty yeah. much self-employed and we've, you know, staked that claim for many years, but our schedules are often structured by uh, gigs and lessons, and mm -hmm. now we have uh, online lessons, and, you know, there's there's lots of different ways that we can structure our time, but now there's so much time at mm -hmm. home. How do I keep from falling into staying up late, getting up late, you know, like wasting all this, how do I be productive every day? And I'm th I, I, that's why I was kind of wondering, how do you do that, man? Do you set this like, okay, because I, I also have a songwriter friend in town who he sets the time. He's like, at nine o'clock is when I start. And then at five o'clock, I check out. And I, yeah. you know, and I, that works for him, you know, obviously, but he's not, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe it's a it's a song. Maybe it's producing a song. Maybe it's something. I don't know what it is. But I guess everybody has different methods. I was curious what yours was. You know, I when I get up in the morning, and I, I do like to get up early if I haven't been up too late. Um, I like to do my media in the morning when I'm fresh. Uh, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, um, and uh, I the bulk of my time media wise though is spent on my website. My website is is important to me it's an archive it is it's um, great and it looks great man there's a lot of information on there and that's what i wanted i i think you know social media has taken away from websites um and, I, and websites are for the most part are updated but i don't i i i i am a, a cataloger mm -hmm. i i you know and um and in in an inclusive kind of way everybody and that that takes up a lot of time, but I tend to do that in the morning. Um, but um, and then the afternoon or evenings uh, with my shelves. Yeah. And uh, but it doesn't always work out that way. But but it's a pretty good. But I don't have a cutoff time like oh it's it's noon. But but I I have done that. You know when I'm very pressed for time or I'm leaving, I'll set the timer for okay a half hour. I'll, I got a half hour on my side. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's more of a reminder, like, hey, get in the shower, man, or you're not going to make it. You know? Because <laughs> <laughs> I get lost in this. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Down the rabbit hole. Where, yeah. can, where can somebody, if somebody's not familiar with your drum, with the sound of your drum, is there uh, an easy place to direct them? You know, my website, I have a lot of sound samples mm -hmm. on YouTube. And, uh, you know, my sound samples are raw samples. You know, a lot of them are, are clips from sound checks. But but that, the, the clips that I have up, that is the way that drum sounds. Mm -hmm. um, I don't do, um, you know, the, the video sessions in, um, I, I, you know, if it's, if it's a, if, if I do have a weakness in this business is maybe video presentation, but the videos I do have, um, are just raw samples, and um, that—that's kind of what I wanted. I mean, that—that's real. That is what the four by fifteen sounds like. Yeah. Um, you know, I get questions all the time, and I will forward some of the best clips. Going back to Mark Beckett of the four by fifteen, were some live clips from Vegas with him. Yeah. And I'm like, if you want to know how that drum sounds, this is exactly the way that drum sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are great. Those are great. He sounds really good. The, there's uh, people I've met on the road who ask about gear, and I say, well, you know, it's a good good to demo in stores, and right now that's really difficult to do. 
mm-hmm. but uh, there's a lot of people even before the shutdown that people needed to uh, access information <clears throat> online. So this sounds like a great way for them to hear uh, and and follow their interest based on this conversation and say, "What? Okay, I got to hear this drum." So that's that sounds great. In the ten years that you've been doing this, what have you learned about yourself during this time? You know, the, that that's pretty easy to answer, um, Matt. You know, I I looked at that in your notes. And that is that um, for all my faults, which are many, um, you know, when I outline something and, and set guidelines, okay, here's what I want to do, the way I want to do it and what I want to achieve, um, I stay with that. And I don't, I never change that. Mm-hmm. You know, and the irony of that, <clears throat> well, the obviously, it's worked out very well. But the irony of that is that I, I, again, you know, is as much as I talk, I listen. And I have listened to suggestions and, and comments for, for many years. And I listen truth sincerely. Um, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I make my own decisions. And it's a good way to live. Listen to everybody. But at the end of the day, you know, you can make, make your mind up. Yeah. And uh, I, I just stay with what I do, you know, and then another 20 years of this, I, I will be just doing the exact same thing in the exact same way. And, you know, and I've mentioned to a couple friends, if, you know, if I would quote unquote go down because of it and end up living in a leaky trailer because, uh, <laughs> down by the know, river, I just, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't change with the times or what, whatever the, the phrasing is, I, I don't care. Because I got my musical point across. You know, I, I have something that I want drummers to hear, not to see. Yeah. You know, when a drummer, yeah. you know, says to me, I heard one of your drums, that that that's just sings to me. Right, as and opposed to I, I saw that drum. Right. I heard that drum. Yeah. Again, like I had mentioned at the beginning, just this hard work, ethic, integrity, it is really synonymous with the drumming community. And I really admire your approach to getting the word out about what you do and how you just care about music and care about things in a way that just, I, I, it's, it's hard to explain, but it, it, it matches the kind of ethos that I subscribe to. And it makes me a fan of your uh, drums if I'd never heard them. And then I heard them, and then I played them. And then I'm like, it's it. I, let me put it to you this way: You ever are a fan of, say, you're a fan of some drummer, and then you meet them in person, and they turn out to be really cool, and you're like, okay, now I'm a huge fan. So that's that's kind of how I am with with your drums, man, for sure. I appreciate that, Matt. That means a lot coming from you. And uh, like I said, I, you know, when Michael had mentioned this this winter, I'm like. Yeah, hope to hear from him. That would be, you know. And I, of course, didn't forget that. And then when I heard from him, I'm like, "Oh, this is awesome." Yeah, you know. Yeah, you've been on my list for a long time, and again, it's been uh, 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 many years that uh, I've been interested in in your drums and what you do. So I'm glad we've had a chance to to speak, and I encourage all my listeners to go to your website. What is your website address, by the way? We'll post it in our post um, notes uh, in our show notes. But what is it? Um, it's beerdrums.com. Yes. B E I E R. Beer, Correct. but with an I in the middle. Pronounced. That's exactly how they explain it to people. Yeah. Well, I'm, I live in Wisconsin. I mean, that relate, you know, people relate to that. When you say <laughs> beer, you have their attention. I said, just put an I in the middle of the E's. That's right. <laughs> pronounced buyer. Uh, but uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to, to check these drums out. But. James, man, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day and uh, and talking to me. Oh yeah, it, it was it was a thrill. It really was. And I like again, I, I really really enjoyed this, Matt. Hey, thanks, man. Hey, stay safe and keep in touch, and and uh, we'll be in touch for sure soon. That sounds great. I definitely will. We'll stay in touch. Okay. Thanks, okay. man. Okay. Bye bye. Take care. See. Ya. Thank you. Bye. 
So there you have it, my conversation with James. I want to say thank you to James for his time. Also to players like Mark Beckett and Michael Grondo and Jared Pope for introducing me to this great drum. As I mentioned in the interview, I had a chance to borrow a 4x15 from Michael Grondo for a week uh, playing live and doing a session, and I have completely fallen in love with this drum, and I'm really excited about checking out more of what James does. Having a workhorse drum that looks and sounds great is, I think, a perfect combination for the working drummer. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Fabio de Oliveira. He's based in London and works for George Ezra as well as many others. We appreciate everyone listening and keeping up with the podcast during this crazy time. I hope you all are staying safe and staying positive, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.